Would you turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And as you're going there, I I just explained that uh, we usually announce things at the beginning of the service because we want worship to be about worshiping God. Um, I, I, I shared that announcement with you just simply because it's an opportunity of service to the Lord. Um, and hopefully it's not too much of a distraction this Sunday morning. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through verse 35. A large section of scripture. Uh, Let's hear God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Now let's pray. Our Lord God, we give thanks to you for the reading of the word. We pray that you would enable the preaching of your word to be perfectly in line with with the text and your intention for that word to us this very day. And not through any skill, but rather through the gifting uh, and, and the direction of the Holy Spirit We ask, Lord, your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
In this immediate context, we remember Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other with them also, have already gone to see Jesus. They have come for the purpose of applying spices and other things preparatory to his continued uh, residence within the tomb. They believe, uh, in, uh, through a lack of un- wisdom uh, and ignorance of the facts, along with these elder, uh, these these individuals, these disciples headed to Emmaus that his body will be there in an ongoing sense for a longer period of time. And so they are preparing that body. And they love the Lord Jesus. They clearly love the Lord Jesus. But they're ignorant of the significance of the three days that he is to spend bodily in the grave. And, of course, Friday has come, or Friday, the, 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 the later portion of the day, all day Saturday and the Sabbath, and, and then a portion of the day now on Sunday, in which in the early morning hours he has risen. And these angels appeared to them, and they said, uh, the, the, the angels said, Remember the words that he had, remember what he has said. And the women in verse, uh, in the verses following, in verse eight, I believe, said, and they remembered his words. And so all of this is about enabling his disciples, little by little, group by group, individual by individual, to remember his words. So post death and internment in the grave and now the resurrected Jesus intends that his ministering angels as well as himself will affirm that he has risen and he has risen with purpose. He has risen according to all that he has said and he has risen in light of the prophecy and the narrative of Old Testament scripture. Well, the women had remembered his words, and in that they came to a greater understanding of the faith and and apprehension of Jesus Christ. Well, these two disciples are not apostles, but they are individuals who are following Jesus. One is identified, Cleopas, and later on it says, and Jesus spoke to them, uh, these men. Well, in the the Greek, it doesn't say men, it, it simply says these and it's not masculine necessarily. It's, it's, it's possible that Cleopas is traveling back to his house seven miles to the south with his wife. Regardless of who it is, the two of them are walking together. They've left Jerusalem and they're kind of, I think in this at this point, we don't know what to do. We've believed, but what's happening and what has happened and what is the significance of what has happened and what are we to believe now and what is are we to expect in the future and what's going to happen to us? They have not remembered what Jesus has said, even though these women at the grave have, and they have heard their account, but they have not remembered. And we want to enter into the scene almost, I think, at least I do. And and maybe you feel the same way. You want them to say, as they're telling Jesus, now the women amongst us, or a number of the women, went to the grave this very morning. And they found only empty bed clothing or grave clothing. And we don't understand the significance of that. And they went and they came back and they said that an angel had spoken to them and said it it was necessary that the Lord Jesus be raised. 
we can't find his body now. So we're going home. And you can hear their, their consternation as they speak of these things. And we want to enter into the story and say, don't you understand the significance of the empty grave with the rolled back rock that covered it and the seal that is broken and the empty grave clothes that have been left behind and the angelic beings who spoke and said it was necessary that he be raised from the dead. Don't you get it? But we cannot And certainly we understand that there are moments in the Christian life when all of a sudden we come to a greater understanding scripturally through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of things that we have affirmed before, but simply have not yet mentally or cognitively grasped. And that's where they're at. They believe in the the Old Testament witness concerning, because the New Testament is not yet written for them, They have believed all that concerned the Messiah. And they believe that Jesus was and indeed is the Messiah. Thus far, Jesus has risen. He's no longer physically in the grave. He has sent angels to move the stone, communicate with the women. He has appeared to those women and he has appeared physically to Mary Magdalene. They have returned. They told everything to the 11, but the 11 do not believe. I'll tell you, I, I can only imagine in heaven that some, that some of those women will be saying to those apostles, we told you and you should have believed. And of course, they do come to believe, but they didn't initially believe these women. And so Jesus, when he comes, will rebuke them. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Lest we think, well, it's just it's just very difficult to get your mind around this. And that's where the apostles really are. No, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, they have been rebuked for their unbelief and hardness of heart. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that he is the Old Testament, the Messiah with which the word of God proclaims him to be. They believe that he is who he has said he is. They have believed that he is the son of God, but they have not believed the account that he is is, is risen. Is that because they believe in a future expected rising at, at a later point of time? I don't know. But they did not believe. Even Peter and John, who went down to the grave, looked in, saw it emptied. And Peter, who walks back marveling, still did not believe. They believed in Christ. They believed in Jesus. They believed that he is the eternal son of God. Peter Peter said that by way of confession to Jesus Christ, to his face when Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of God. And yet there they were in the, that upper room, hesitant to believe, hardened of heart, not believing that Jesus had been risen from the dead. And so he will rebuke them in that upper room and correct their misunderstanding. But here are these two two members of the larger group of disciples. If you add them up, there, there are maybe 150 disciples, individuals who have followed, loved, 
been benefactors for Jesus. They have they have been with him throughout their his ministry. They have followed him, listened to his teaching, and in many ways, many of them have surrendered everything in order to follow him, believing he is the Christ, the Messiah of God. And Cleopas is there. He is one of them. They're going home. It's seven miles south to Jerusalem. And along that seven-mile trip, Jesus shows up. It's an incredible thing. And they, 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 there he is. He's a stranger, and he comes to walk with them, and he simply wants to walk together with them. There is strength in numbers along those roads that lead out of Jerusalem, along which someone is... Uh, certainly susceptible to uh, uh, the ancient days of carjacking uh, where you would be you would be grabbed on the side of the road and robbed of your of your traveling uh, uh, um, of anything you're traveling with and and so there's strength in numbers so here comes this stranger and it is hidden from them who he is I, I agree with JC Ryle who simply looks at this and says in a wonderful way, Jesus was transformed in his resurrection body such that they were not able to recognize him initially. And, of course, they all come eventually to, to recognize who he is. Even Mary Magdalene, Jesus says, Mary, Mary. And she says, oh, Rabboni. She recognizes him. And the disciples, as he appears in the room, walking through a locked door. They recognize him, but initially they did not. And these two disciples are not given. It is not given for them to recognize. And I think the importance of why they are not enabled to, uh, to, to be able to recognize him is simply because it, it's all about the word of God. And so Jesus, with, without the distraction of his person, reveals to them the word of God that he might initiate full and abiding faith in them. And then he declares and displays that he is the one whom they love. They don't know that this is Jesus. There's a bit of sarcasm when Jesus walks up and says, what have you been talking about? What are you discussing together? And they say, are you the only stranger who has come into Jerusalem who is unaware of the circumstances? This was earth shattering. It was the thing that all of Jerusalem was buzzing about. The one who had said that he was the Messiah has been crucified. He has been lifted up on the cross and his body has been placed in the grave. All of Jerusalem was discussing this. Everyone knew about it. The crowds had gathered condemning Jesus. And then they had, they had gathered afterwards crying out and weeping for the hope of Israel, which had been ruined. Or so they thought. Well, they are on their way, and they're on their way home. Perhaps there's a measure of discouragement in their hearts. They had hoped, they had believed that this was the Messiah. They had believed that he was a great prophet, that he had, that he had great power, and they were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. So they are wondering, and they are waiting, and they, they are uncertain of what's next. So they're talking and discussing these things amongst themselves. And Jesus walks up and he says, what are you talking about? And they explain, are, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what we're talking about and about the circumstances that you see? Because they're all going south out of Jerusalem. 
Maybe there's a little bit of biblical sarcasm there. I forget who it was with, but this last Wednesday evening or at some point recently, we were talking about sarcasm in scripture and we pointed out a couple of texts. There are a few. Perhaps Cleopas is sarcastically saying, are, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who has just come out of the city and you're unaware of everything that has been taking place over the last few days? It's extraordinary. It's cosmic. It's, it's, a, rip, it's a drip of water that has fallen into the larger body and the, 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 the continued ripples are being felt throughout the entirety of Israel. Well, Jesus says, well, what things? He's, he's not lying. He's simply wanting from, from, to hear from them the things that they believed and the things that they're talking about. He wants to, them to recount for him. And so they say this. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Notice that in their own account, they are they are acknowledging and they are re- recording for us that the chief priests and the rulers are the ones who delivered him to the sentence of death and bear that culpability. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and didn't find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. They're incredulous that he hasn't heard. And of course, they're assuming he hasn't heard. Although he has frankly lived them, the truth is he wants to hear from them what they have believed. His own incredulity is obvious here in this passage. Oh, foolish of heart, slow to believe. And so what does Jesus do? He unfolds the scriptures to them. Well, <clears throat> We see two things in this passage this morning, the first of which is Christ's sad disciples. And then we see Christ's disciples made glad in the first in the in the first heading of this passage. Christ's sad disciples, they, these these two people, they are very, very sad. They're walking along the roads. Their eyes are prevented from recognizing Jesus. They're talking and discussing animatedly, most likely. And Jesus asks them, what are you talking about? But it's it's a very sad statement in verse 17 towards the end. And they stood still and looking sad. So if you can see it, they're walking along. They're speaking together. They're uncertain of the significance of these things. They're talking about the fact that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and and Joanna and others have come to them and said, you know, we, we saw him. We've heard from him. We saw an angel and even John and and Peter have ventured out. Uh, They're fearful for their lives. The doors are locked for a reason. They, They all think they're next. Every last one of them. They all think they're next. They're in that upper room where they are gathered and they are fearful. 
They've all gone. They've affirmed that the grave is empty. It's now the third day. They're, they're, they're concerned. What, what, what's next? What is the meaning of these things? What, what, what do we do? So they're going home to eat a meal in their home, in their village. Why are they sad? Well, they don't understand. They, they cannot grasp the significance of the fact that the eternal son of God was slain. His body was in the grave for the space of six, three days. And after that, he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our salvation. He was raised in full affirmation of God the Father in the pleasing sacrifice of his son. He was raised because he was accepted of the Father as an offering for sin. Because Christ is raised, we have died with him. And because he is raised, we are raised with him. And because he is raised, we have life, life eternal. And the love of God the Father has been poured out upon us in his beloved son. And so they're sad. They don't understand all of this yet. They simply do not grasp it. And unless the Holy Spirit had shown you, had shown me, we would not understand the significance of all the events surrounding the death of Christ either. And maybe we would have nothing to do with Christ. And we would deny Christ and utterly affirm our our agnosticism, as it were, over over Christ and the gospel. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to you and given to me that we might believe and see. Even though we have not seen him face to face, we see him in the word of God. And we know him in our hearts. And he lives with us and we live with him and we live in vital connection to him day by day. But they're sad. Isn't it a sad Sad sentence. They're walking, they're talking. Jesus comes and he asks them, What's, what are you talking about? Everyone's heard about everything that's been happening in Jerusalem. Are the only, you the only uh, person who's gone to Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things that we're talking about? Tell us what, tell me what things. And then they were simply sad and they stopped walking. They stood still looking sad. There's, there's abject sadness present in that sentence. They're simply sad. They don't understand. They've been prevented from recognizing him. Well, they have believed in Jesus. They have believed his words. Nevertheless, there are certain and significant aspects of the word of God as it relates to Jesus Christ and his work that they have yet so far failed to believe. If not yet believed the Old Testament witness of Christ, the Redeemer, they were believers in God, believers in his word. And yet, as it relates to Christ and his work, they've yet failed to believe. They believed in Christ and the witness of the Old Testament that he is the Redeemer. But they have not yet understood how he would redeem. They were believers in God, believers in his word, but ignorant of the Old Testament witness of Christ and his work as it related to the necessity of his substitutionary atonement. As it related to his redemption of the grave, his conquering of the last enemy of mankind. 
Verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. They have not yet believed in all that the prophets have spoken. And of course, it hasn't been, well, Jesus has explained it to them prior and previously during various other, various teaching moments with his disciples, declaring that he must go into the grave for the space of six, three days and then be raised, that he must die and then be raised. He has said these things to his disciples. They have shared these things amongst themselves. He has spoken to the Pharisees. No other sign will be given you other than the sign of Jonah, who for the space of three days was in the belly of the whale. Jesus spoke of his death and resurrection. Oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? He doesn't say you're simply ignorant and you don't know. He says you have not believed yet. They know the word. They said we were hoping that he was the Messiah. They know what the Bible says about him, but they have not yet believed those things concerning him in their entirety, especially as it relates to his death and resurrection. And so Jesus says to them, he he paints for them a, a twofold argument. And he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things And then to enter into his glory, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So what what is going to ultimately make their hearts glad? The word of God. And he argues in this way. He takes them to the word and he argues in this way. He has an example and he has prophecy. And in the example, he says, and as he points to the Old Testament witness, that God brings his people through suffering and then to glory. The glory does not come before the suffering. The suffering comes before the glory. And so he goes to the life of Job and says, didn't Job suffer over the space of his life? And after that, God lifted him up to glory. And what about Moses who suffered and went before Pharaoh and went out into the desert and was in the wilderness and never even saw the land of Cain? Well, it wasn't permitted to go into the land of Canaan, but saw the land of Canaan and then was lifted up to glory. Or Elijah who went through a life of suffering in service to God and yet then was brought up into glory. And he's saying, my life in that same way is exactly what, in, in fact, God's people must suffering. And so God brings his people through suffering and then glory. And is it not right for the Messiah to first suffer and then to be glorified? Further, he goes into the rest of the Old Testament and the and. It all speaks of the necessity of atonement for sin, the incorruptible death of a substitute. He perhaps took them to Psalm 22 and Psalm number two. And your holy one will not see decay and will not be my soul will not be given up to Sheol, will not be abandoned to Sheol. Perhaps he took them to those texts. Maybe he took them to Isaiah 53. The 
Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. And if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. He poured himself out to death, was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore himself, bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Jesus took them to throughout the word of God from the Old Testament law to the prophets, to the Psalms, from the beginning of Genesis 1-1 all to the end, all the way to the end of Malachi. And he expounded and he, and he filled up their understanding. And he explained to them that in every one of these instances, that in every text, in every jot and tittle, it spoke of Jesus Christ. Their faith was inadequate because they were deficient in their understanding of the word of God. The word of God had not yet seeped, at least in fullness, in full down into the depths of their heart. The connection that was to be made was not in the empty grave clothes or the testimony of the women as Jesus didn't go to those and then explain what those things meant. He simply went to the word of God. They didn't understand and they didn't expect that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. They did not expect the resurrection. And yet Jesus has come to correct that understanding, that misunderstanding. Talk about misinformation. So then we see, secondly, Christ's disciples made glad. Look at what these sad Christians say about Jesus. Verse 21, they were hoping we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. They believe certain things about Jesus. He is a prophet. He is a Messiah. But what's missing? What's missing in their testimony is that he is the son of God. We believe that he was a prophet. We believe that he was a Messiah. We believe that he is the the lamb of God. But we don't believe that he is the son of God. They have loved him. Let's make no mistake. They have loved Jesus. They have believed in who he is and what he has said. They have not disbelieved anything of what he has said. But they have missed out on the, the, on the understanding grasped that he is the son of God, the incarnate God. He cannot die. They loved him. They were devastated by his death. They had given up everything for it. They, they were in Jerusalem. They were following Jesus. But now they were going home because their knowledge of him was deficient. The healing of their deficient faith was accomplished in the explanation of the word. So what does Jesus do? He simply expounds the scriptures and shows that in the scriptures, it is uh, they speak of me, as he says to them. So as they walk along with him, they urge him saying, stay with us. It's getting toward evening. Have a bite to eat. And he sits down with them and it's not his home. It's very unusual. It's, it breaks protocol and culture, but he takes the bread. He breaks it and immediately then and there they see. This is Jesus. 
and he vanishes. I don't know how he vanishes. I'm not really worried about it. He has a glorious new resurrected body. He's able to move from one place to the next. I don't know how. I don't care. He doesn't need to hit a button on his chest. He just, he's there. He's gone. He's through a room. He's through locked doors. This is the son of God. He can do anything. God, all things are possible. I don't need an explanation. All I need to know is that what, that he is alive, that he is truly God of God, very God of very God. Well, these individuals, they loved him and they were thrilled that he was, he was alive and they were thrilled to be able to affirm their own sight of Christ, this appearance of Christ to them. And so immediately they leave their supper and they leave their home and they return to Jerusalem and they recount for the disciples. But one thing has made their heart glad. They're in a very different state. They said to one another in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So what they lacked was explanation. And the son of God explains the word of God and their hearts burn with him. And we would, we would come alongside of them and say, you know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works with the word and he creates faith, enabling us to understand, leading us to conviction, affirming truth. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what in John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit is. He will take of me and remind you. He will remind you of the words that I have said. Of course, the the angel said to the women, don't you remember the words that Jesus said? They needed to remember. They needed an explanation of the scriptures. And so they go back and they relate their experiences. They go back in in the dark at night. And they recount for them that they too have seen Jesus. That indeed he is risen. I want to just share with you just a, a brief application toward the end of the passage here. The healing of their deficient faith was wrought, it was accomplished through an explanation of the word of God. And this speaks to so much in Christian worship. What should we what should we do in worship? What 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 elements of worship are the most important? Is it the music? Is it the prayers from the pulpit? Is it is it the piano playing? Is it the call to worship? Is it that the preacher has perfect diction of which this one does not? Is it is is the most important thing the aesthetics of where we gather? Is, is the most important thing about the worship service that, that no one around me sin against me and that no one display in any sense during the worship service or after that they are in fact sinners? No, none of those things. The most important thing in every service of worship is that the word of God is proclaimed. That's the most important thing. Now, you may say I've been to other churches and I've gone to other places or houses of worship. And there are so many more things that they do. The music is much more vibrant, exciting. People dress far better than we do here. And the aesthetics, oh, the sound coming off of the ceiling is glorious. The voice is lifted up. It just 
draws my heart and causes me to ascend heavenward. Wonderful. But the only question I have for you was the word of God carefully and faithfully explained to you. Is the word of God preached there? The most important thing in any worship service is, is the word central? Is it central to the hymns and songs that are sung such that they are infused with the word of God? So that you, such that you can say the things that I've just sung or that we have just sung together are so biblical that there is clear theology evident in them, biblical theology. And therefore, my heart is undergirded by truth rather than just an ascending moment of feelings. The word of God is utterly central. What have you come here for this morning to worship the Lord and to hear his word? Additionally, our prayers should consistently be that God would bless his word to our hearts whether in Bible study or in worship service or in our daily readings, our personal readings of scripture. Lord, bless this word to my life. And if I'm anything like the disciples in Emmaus and I'm struggling to understand, or there are certain aspects of the word of God that I need to grow in, Lord, lead me to the passages that will make it clear to me. Lord, bless your word. Bless it not only to my soul because I need encouragement and growth and grace, but bless it to their souls as well because I love them and I want to bear their burdens with them. And I'm concerned for their growth in Christ too because I'm joined in common confession to them and in membership in the church and household of God. We should pray that God would bless his word and cause many to turn in faith to Jesus Christ that his word would not go out void, but that it would return to him, having accomplished that for which he has purposed. That God would bless his word to our hearts, should be very much on our lips on Saturday night, very much in our hearts on Sunday morning. Further, we also need to, I think, personally recognize that where we suffer in our faith, where we struggle with belief and faith, believing certain things we know to be true, the word of God, the scriptures are where we will find our healing. Where I'm struggling with certain aspects of the faith and I'm I'm struggling to understand and I'm struggling to believe, read the word. Read the word, pursue the word. Meditate on the word. Study the word. Do you know that we have a responsibility to know the word of God, not just to read, but to study Are you reading a good commentary to go along with your daily reading? Some relevant contemporary thing that's easy enough to read, two or three pages that will explain the text to you? You should be. It's helpful. It'll encourage your growth in Christ. It will fill up the voids of your faith and increase your understanding. If you need recommendations, I'm happy to recommend to you. Where we suffer in our faith and where our faith is weakest, the scriptures are where we will find healing. Further, the scriptures are where our daily source of joy can be found. So many of us are deficient in joy. We need to be restored in that joy. Do you have Christian joy this morning? True and abiding joy in Jesus Christ. Remember what all the scriptures have said about Christ. Who he is. And what he has done for you.
I think there's something that's deeply at fault within the Christian psyche. We, we, we tend for some reason not to look for our source of joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when we do that, we will not find joy. We will enter into a life of morose depression and we will go on in life struggling, anxious and fearful perhaps depressed, but at the very least, not assured, lacking in assurance, struggling in our faith. The antidote is fill up your heart and mind with the word of God. God is not our great physician in the sky whose business it is to make us feel good about ourselves every day. But he has given us his word and he has declared to us news that goes beyond good news. And it is in that mature Christian, as you grow and as you mature, as you identify that Jesus Christ is my source of joy. Why? So in what way are we saying this? And and I'm not undermining the fact that some of us really struggle with things physically and mentally, cognitively, that really do cause us real and genuine suffering day by day. That's true. That's real. But do you know that in the midst of every single day, at every moment, throughout the course of the entire course of your Christian life, you have an untapped source of daily joy. And that joy stems from this particular thought that Jesus Christ has redeemed you from your sins. That Jesus Christ has loved you, that the love of God, the father has been richly, lavishly, Ephesians chapter one, poured out upon you to such a degree that you are now a child of God. But what we tend to do is inebriate ourselves by the foods and the drinks and the company and the entertainments and the enjoyments and the recreations that will make us feel good in the moment. And those are all gifts from the Lord meant to help us get through life, to fill up what we are in need of by way of resources. But those things and all the things that we consume and partake of, they are not your joy. They are not your source of daily joy and encouragement. The Lord Jesus Christ is. Regardless of what you face or wherever you are in the Christian life, there is one thing that is true, and it is your source of joy that you have been redeemed by God the Father through the person of this, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You're precious to him. Your sins are forgiven, and he is coming one day to take you home. That's where we find Christian joy in the midst of struggle and trial. Because trials and suffering never change that reality. Nothing can undermine it. What is Romans chapter 8 all about? I am convinced that neither death nor life nor any other created thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so where we have been sick or where we receive news from the doctors that is quite negative or that really has caused us great grief. The answer to that where you can still find joy is I still belong to my faithful savior and nothing can take me out of his hands. 
And though this brief period of suffering is true and painful, nevertheless, I have an eternity before me where I will dwell with unapproachable joy. Even in the worst of days, Christian, you must preach such things to your soul. We must constantly tell ourselves, even though I'm lacking in this and I I don't have that, and I'm so anxious about this and I'm depressed about the course and direction of my life, one thing is true. You belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I think that the reason so many are depressed and saddened and joyless and hopeless and distraught and anxious and doubting and fearful and cast down and morose and perhaps even angry and doubting and lift up some circumstance about their life. I don't have this, therefore I'm angry with you because my life should be different. The answer is, well, go back to the word of God and remember what Jesus has said. There you will find that God is accomplishing his purposes for you, that he has designed your suffering, intends to carry out his blessing for you, that he intends to bring you through what you are suffering, and he will do it with you, and he will be present with you, and he will not be separated from you. He's in it with you day by day, moment by moment. You're not separated from him. His love has still fallen upon you, and it will never be separated from you. What was necessary for Jesus is necessary for you too. Suffering first in this world, and then after that, to enter into his glory. And that day is coming. That day is certain. Shouldn't the gospel be our source of everlasting joy? We are one of the generations of Christians who were kind of ho-hum about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the forgiveness of our sins. We talk about it, and it's wonderful. It's great. We really don't think about it when it comes down to the nitty gritty of why my life is as difficult as it is. Why I'm suffering today or why I. Why I'm sad. Or why my cast my soul is cast down. You look at these disciples and what did they say? Our hearts burned within us when we heard the word and the testimony of the word concerning Jesus Christ, the son of God. John Wesley describes his conversion. He says, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle of the Romans about a quarter of nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. He goes on to say that at that point he was converted. We can say what we want about John Wesley and there's much to say. Yes, there is. But he was a believer. And I wonder this morning whether or not your heart has been strangely warmed. If it if it has been strangely warmed in the things of God and you wish that you could believe and you want to believe. I encourage you today. Don't leave this place without believing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone as your savior. If you have believed it, well, go home and tell someone else about that fact and ask God to strangely warm their heart with the truth that you have been warmed by. Be faithful in your witness and tell others of the reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. And dear suffering Christian. Daily, you are filled with constant reminders of why you are suffering and and what causes you great distress. 
and physical pain or mental anguish. There's a day of glory coming for you. A day of glory when you are with the Savior. And while you are yet here in this world, find your daily joy in who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is of far greater significance than what you're personally suffering with even now. Let that wash over your soul. I am a child of God. I belong to my faithful savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is my only comfort in life and in death. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks to you for your word. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts. We pray that you would bless it infinitely and and eternally to our heart, working faith within us such that where we are deficient in the things that we understand, Lord, cause your word to, to correct it and to expand our understanding. Where we have not believed, Lord, cause us to believe and trust and give ourselves wholeheartedly over to Jesus. We pray for our loved ones, our unbelieving family members, and co-workers, neighbors, people around us. Lord, lead them to faith in Christ Jesus. Let us see the joy of new life, of a new birth. Let us see the joy and walk with joy with our loved ones as we explain to them who Christ is and what he has done for them. Let us see conversions, Lord, our loved ones who turning in faith to Jesus Christ. We cry out for this. We, we, we beg you, O oh God, and plead with you that, that you would indeed do this, that Christ would be glorified. And men and women, boys and girls saved. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to go and find our joy in Christ day by day. To, 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 to preach to our downcast hearts. Oh, my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Let us hope in God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.